Welcome to Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the podcast. I'm your host, Madeline. And I'm your co-host, Kenna. Um, Kenna, did you want to do a shout out today? Yes, um, I wanted to shout out everyone who subscribes to our Patreon. I feel like sometimes we forget to mention in the beginning that we have one. And we love it when people go on there and like send us messages and like, you know, they get extra stuff and we just wanted to thank you. Yeah, we have two really good bonus episodes lined up on our Patreon for the next two weeks of February because we do two bonus episodes there every month. Yeah. Because it's $2 for the basic thing. So it's like a dollar per episode. And I think the next two are going to be really good because so many people requested them, right? Yeah, we are doing some episodes that some subjects that people really requested. So... I would keep an eye out for that and you know just housekeeping it's on patreon.com slash pick me up I'm scared yes okay also housekeeping my voice is back on its shit again because I have just like chronic allergies in the winter apparently and this is my fucking life now so I'm sucking on another uh cough drop and hopefully it won't be too distracting and I'm so sorry for everybody listening um I think it sounds sultry Okay, I love that. Thank in you. In a platonic way. Mm-hmm. I think we're doing kind of like a a sexy episode today. Ooh. I mean, it's, it's not- almost episode 69. We're so close. Okay, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like sexy, like sexual. It's sexy, like it's hip and trendy. Oh, cool. Yes. There's like the, the second meaning. Yes. Yes, the other non-sexual version of sexy. So, with all that said, Kenna... Today, I wanted to start the podcast out by asking you a question, like always. Are you ready? Ooh. Uh, what is an essential oil? What is an essential oil? Oh, my God. I don't... In my opinion, it's an it's an oil that you don't eat. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's not a common definition, but it should be, because a lot of people try to eat them, and it's really bad for you, apparently. Yeah, I think uh, an essential oil is probably, I don't know how they make oil, like canola oil or soybean oil or whatever oil, but I assume it involves some sort of extraction process from some sort of plant. Yeah, you got it. And I would say an essential oil is when you don't eat. Yes. Okay. So this is actually not a bad definition. (laughs) So essential oils, yes, are just like compounds extracted from plants that end up having the plants like scent and aroma and essence, hence essential. They're usually smelly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, not bad smelly, but I mean, some of them to me do not smell very great, but. You know, there's a lot of them. It's hit or miss. So, okay, like kind of what do people do with essential oils? Um, Ooh, like isn't like aromatherapy. Yeah, that's a big one. Relaxation Mm -hmm. and calming. Um, I'm sure there's some other woo-woo things I have no clue about. Oh, yeah. There's some real bad woo-woo things. Um, there are some people who are like, I'm just going to cure cancer with essential oils. Oh, I didn't think about that. I was just like, ooh, and the, yeah, I was thinking more like, uh, witchcraft things, but like fun witchcraft. So there's some of that too. There's like, there's like the woo-woo people, but then there's like the woo-woo non-right-wing trad mom people. And both of them are now really into, like, trying to use essential oils for things that, like, you should probably not be using essential oils for. Um, I know that I really went down the skincare rabbit hole before COVID. And one thing they say to never put on your face is uh, essential oils. 
yeah, you're not supposed to actually put any pure essential oil on your skin directly. It needs to have this, like, carrier oil. Otherwise, it'll fuck you up. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I got really weirdly deep. I don't, I I think it was one of those things, like, you know, when you just get really into something, like, you get, like. Yeah, that's called an ADHD hyperfixation, (laughs) and I am familiar, yes. So, I learned all about, you know, exfoliation and all that stuff, but I learned, yeah, never use essential oils on your face. Also, uh, you might be interested to learn that some people are trying to claim that you can cure ADHD with essential oils. Uh, I don't think that's true because I no. worked in a place where they diffuse that stuff all day long and I still got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Also, um, in case it wasn't clear, you, you, I'm going to say you probably can't cure cancer with essential oils. I'm going to say there's no evidence that suggests you can cure cancer with essential oils that's i think because who knows what'll happen tomorrow maybe we'll find some like random root that only grows in one place and it'll have like the ultimate cancer fighting properties i don't fucking and know someone anything will be like happen. well 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 right, right. <laughs> so the, per- the person who always pops up and is like well actually yeah here's this one super rare thing um but yeah today you know a lot of people try to make these like really extreme woo-woo claims about essential oils that are not founded in science or evidence and some of the most interesting things to me about essential oils are the crowds who get really into those claims yeah um i feel like there's a certain type of person who gets into the wilder claims about essential oil that don't just have to do with oh it's nice to smell when you're getting a massage exactly yes like um some people do just use them because they like the smell it helps them relax uh this is like probably similar to how I have one of these like hippie oil fragrance roll-on things that's just like cranberry or cinnamon or whatever and I get them at the renaissance fair Ooh, and I, oh, I used to get purse. one at the um the like food co-op in Portland yeah those are super cool you're just like it smells good I like it uh um but yeah then there are all these other claims about like what essential oils can do for you medically right with very little to no substantiation um and this stuff's really interesting like for example Online, people say that peppermint essential oil uh, aids with your digestion. Okay. Uh, Tea tree oil is supposed to boost your immunity and stave off infection. And my mom definitely used to use tea tree oil for everything. Like, I have tea tree oil PTSD, I think. Um, And I'm allowed to make that joke because I actually have been diagnosed with real PTSD that's not about (laughs) tea tree oil. But still. Especially when I was a teenager, I had, like, a lot of acne, and my mom would just slather me in tea tree oil, and that smell is so fucking strong. I mean... Okay, you know what I had the other day that I haven't had in a long time that I used to get all the time? Hmm. Those tea tree oil toothpicks. Oh, I've never seen these. Oh, you get them at, like, the health food store. And I used to always have them, like, after a meal. Like, oh. use a little tea tree oil. And I was just like, it's just like a little, like, minty treat, and you can, like, clean out your teeth. Like That actually sounds delightful. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes I feel like I have used tea tree oil for stuff in the past um usually to clean shoes oh the inside of shoes Mm -hmm. because like you know i work in vintage so like to kind of like because tea tree oil is kind of like a better smelling like alcohol or something so i would just like smells very i would just like put the bottom like uh wipe it like on like something like slightly damp and just wipe the inside of shoes before i resold them it's super interesting um, yeah, there's also uh, jasmine, which is supposed to help with, like, depression, childbirth, and libido, which all feel like pretty major things to me. And I feel like if there was something magical that jasmine could do for you, 
during childbirth, we'd all be talking about it more. Yeah. All I all I can think about is like, blowing in the jasmine of my mind. Oh, maybe or we the, just play that song and then a fan gently wafts the aroma for Or the, or the Peter, Peter Steele version. Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> Better version. Better Best, version. The typo version. Best version. <laughs> there's also um lemon, which is supposed to get rid of headaches, people say. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then there's sage, which is supposed to make you warm. I don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, cedar wood is supposed to improve your circulatory system and clean your airways. Rosemary is supposed to reduce water retention, which I'm like, does that just mean it dehydrates you? Because I don't think that's good. I don't understand anything about water retention. Yeah. I feel like it's like some weird fat phobic thing. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, but some of these are pretty big claims, right? Like antidepressants like Prozac can cost on average $620 a month without insurance. So, like, imagine if instead of taking antidepressants, you could just buy, like, a little tube of lavender essential oil for three bucks or whatever. That would be pretty appealing, right? Um, and it's not like essential oils are regulated pharmaceuticals, so you don't have to jump through hoops to get it. Like, you might a more traditional antidepressant or even anxiety medication from your doctors. Um, yeah, and the thing that people claim can help treat ADHD is chamomile. Oh, I can't take chamomile. Um, maybe that's Allergies. why we're stuck with the ADHD forever. Yeah. No, if I drink chamomile tea, I feel like my nose just runs. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if chamomile tea could could treat ADHD, especially because there's this Adderall shortage right now, everyone would be doing this. So I'm like, the fact that people aren't doing this in the middle of an Adderall shortage, it, like, I don't think chamomile is gonna <laughs> gonna cure your ADHD. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think that can be done. Um, yeah, but. It would be wild, positively wild, if you're like, yeah, I just use this chamomile essential oil, and now I'm able to focus on completing tasks within a neurodivergent system without yeah, any that's stress. Be like, like, I don't know about that. I think the framework, like, if you actually go and understand what ADHD is, it's there's no cure. You it's can't just cure it. The way no. that, it's just the way that your brain works and the way that, like, I mean, like, I guess maybe cure because your dopamine levels are, like, fucked up compared to, like, other people's. I don't know. Maybe chamomile's just different and she can. That is my hot take, though, that maybe, like, a, a curing it is, like, not the I word. don't think that's a hot take. But I the think thing that's, is, like, but the thing is, it's, like, my ADHD, but my ADHD really does affect, like, working and shit and, like, surviving sure. in the world and, like, stuff like that. So, yes, I need help with it for fucking sure or else, like... I feel like I can't work anymore. That's like the social model of like disability though, right? It's like there's nothing inherently wrong with your brain. If you like have ADHD, for example, you're not like bad or broken, but like society's not set up for people who have ADHD. It's set up for people who are neurotypical. So like the social model of disability is like you should change societies to be more accommodating to people who aren't neurotypical. Yeah. I so mean, otherwise I, we just have to drug the shit out of ourselves to try to like. Yeah. I will say that some of my uh, like symptoms of uh, uh, ADHD can be very debilitating. Yeah, like, no, mine are super debilitating. Sometimes I feel yeah. like I can't, like, get off the couch. Right. Like, I can't, like, you know, we all need rest, but it's just, like, or, like, my my thoughts run so fast that it's, like, so anxiety-producing because my thoughts can't even, like, finish right. one after that. Now I'm going on the ADHD <laughs> rant, but no, basically, no, but it, it's like... No, Im- it's important because, it's like, it doesn't mean your symptoms aren't real. It just means, like, society's not set up in a way that accommodates... Yeah. Those things because it's built to accommodate a neurotypical. It's built to accommodate people who are like, what do you mean you can't get off the couch? Just get up. You know? Exactly. And, and like, I, no, I just Or can't. people will just be like, just take an essential oil. And I'm like, 
Bitch, I tried. <laughs> yeah, no, the chamomile is not gonna cure. I have tried. ADHD. I have tried like everything in the past to like. I didn't. Well, I, when I was undiagnosed, I was just like, "There's just something wrong with me," and that thing that wrong, is wrong with me just is that I'm a uh, inherent loser. Oh my god, that's so <laughs> horrible! I hate and that. for some reason, I just can't get shit done that other people can normally get done, like Ugh. pay a bill. Yeah. Or like get off the couch when sometimes like. So, yeah, like... Yeah, no, no, no. This is <laughs> so what... that's... What, and people have been like, well, actually, have you ever just thought about taking a supplement and doing yoga? And I'm like, I, I have done... I have tried everything in the pursuit of paying bills and getting off the couch. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, no. I think the social model is interesting, though, because I do like that it's like... It positions, like, um, having a disability, which people debate whether ADHD is a disability. I know if your ADHD is extreme enough in the United States, you can get on government disability. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, but it has to be, like, pretty extreme. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. The social model of disability, I think, is really interesting. A lot of, like, disability activists are talking about the social model a lot now because it has to do with, like, accommodation. But it's cool. But, yeah. Anyway, the people who are like, oh, just treat your ADHD with chamomile sweaty. It's like, come on, come on, give me a fucking break here. But there are over like 90 commonly used essential oils that people have these kinds of wild health claims about that you're just like, what? Where did you even come up with this? Um, Like people claim you can treat asthma, uh, fatigue, inflammation, peripheral neuropathy, uh, menstrual issues, uh, alopecia, cancer, yes, erectile dysfunction, arthritis and menopause all with essential oils in some medical capacity and um of course these are like really unsubstantiated claims scientists are going back and forth trying to figure out like what essential oils can actually do for you and people are wild about essential oils they love buying them so obviously the topic for today's podcast episode is essential oils yeah it smells so good (laughs) so like kind of mentioned essential oils are typically used in the context of aromatherapy which is yeah, just like you're using oils and their scents in an effort to improve like your physical and emotional health through like building positive associations and like triggering relaxation. And aromatherapy has been around for thousands of years. Like China, India, Egypt, Rome, all used essential oils and like ar- uh, aromatherapy type practices. But also things like resins and balms, which are sometimes used in like medical ceremonies. And people usually say essential oils were first distilled by the Persians in the 10th century. But there is actually some evidence that people have been doing it longer than that. So there's lots of different ways that you can like use essential oils. And in aromatherapy in particular, which is like the most common use of it, you can use a diffuser, an aromatic spritzer, an inhaler, um, body oils, creams, or lotions, facial steamers, hot and cold compresses, or clay masks. And remember, you're not supposed to put this stuff directly on your skin. It needs to have a carrier oil. So a lot of people will make products that will have the carrier oil built in. So you can apply them topically. And they're usually made by steam distilling or cold pressing plant material. But like making an essential oil is really fucking difficult. Like it's really resource intensive. It takes more than a million rose petals to make a single ounce of rose oil. Whoa. Uh A single barrel of frankincense oil is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Whoa. Wow. In the wrong business. (laughs) Yeah. In like some places that make essential oils, they talk about how they have to lock up the roses and the frankincenses, like oils in a separate place so employees don't steal it. 
Wow. Which I respect the employee frankincense oil heist. Yeah, I feel like I would, you know, you know. Go for it. Make it happen. So there's different types, obviously, of extraction. There's like steam distillation, solvent extraction, CO2 extraction, maceration, blah, 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 blah. And this kind of reminds me of our episode we did, uh, Cornspiracy, (laughs) about corn syrup and like, uh, you know, stuff like that. Because we learned a lot about oil in that episode. But just to give you an idea of how difficult it is to do this, we're only going to use one as an example. It's steam distillation. And what you do is you take a large container called a still. It's like stainless steel. And then you put the plant in it and then have steam added to it. And then there's like an inlet and steam is injected through the plant material um, to kind of extract the oils. And then it releases like the plant's aromatic molecules and turns them into vapor. Then the vaporized plant compound travels to the condensation flask called the condenser and then two separate pipes make it possible for hot water to exit and cold water to enter the condenser and that makes the vapor cool and turn back into a liquid form and then you get this like aromatic liquid which has like byproduct that drops from the condenser and collects inside of a receptacle underneath it which is called the separator because oil and water don't mix right so they separate and the essential oil floats on top of the water so from there you siphon off the oil and um, some of them are actually like some oils will be heavier as water, like or heavier than water, like clove essential oil. So those will be found at the bottom instead of the top. And that is how you get an essential oil. And that was just one method. And that's the most common one. So that is not mm. even the most time consuming one. So you see that this process is really time consuming and complex. And certain methods only work with certain plants, too. And this actually is why lots of times when people buy essential oils, they're not even actually getting real essential oils. They're getting like synthetic approximations that don't definitely don't do anything. If we're like skeptical about how much like uh, an essential oil can actually do for you medically, the synthetic compounds are doing nothing, but they can still label them with like natural and like all these vague words that make you think you're getting like actual lavender oil, for example, mm. when you're not. So this is pretty common. Like there's companies in the fragrance and food industries and they usually use like natural drives oils like instead of those are supplementing them with synthetic molecules because it's cheaper product greater consistency right and there's this guy david hill who's an avuncular chiropractor um and he said an oil that's synthetic in its chemistry just won't work the same way mm. so all the essential oil people are like no no you gotta get the real stuff the synthetic's not gonna do anything um but this is really interesting because reading this i'm like do the do the real ones do anything do they actually do anything because how um, common is 100% pure essential oil? I mean, it's pretty common if you're an essential oil girly. Okay. There are people who are really into this, and it is pretty common. Oh, okay. But, you know, it's these these claims are so wild and unsubstantiated, and some things have, like, really minimal kind of almost evidence to back it up, but, like, not enough. Some things are just flat out impossible. And it's just really like wild, wild west, unregulated market. It's just like capitalism run amok being like, yeah, you hate the modern, modern American medical system, which makes sense, right? Because who can even afford to get health who insurance Who fucking to see a likes doctor. the modern medical system? But they're like, you can take things into your own hands and, and cure all of your ailments with essential oils. Whoa. Yeah. So this is like a lot of kind of the culture around essential oils. So the Washington Post did, like, this article about it. Like, okay, do essential oils actually do anything? And they said, of the 100 most common essential oils, around 10 have been researched in great depth over the past three decades. And there's this guy, Robert Tisserand, who wrote uh, this textbook from 1995 called Essential Oil Safety, which is widely cited. It's, like, the industry standard now. And they also did this huge update to it in 2013. And basically, Robert Tisserand is like, yeah, there's all these efforts that have yielded some concrete evidence like the cooling sensation of peppermint oil or there is some bacteria killing power of tea tree oil 
or the calming effect of lavender, but the results are not even guaranteed for everyone, and those are just a few of the claims people make. Mm -hmm. So, there's all these kind of groupings of claims people have. Like, a big one we hear is that essential oils will help reduce stress and anxiety. You know, yeah, I feel like, in my experience, it has, but a lot of it has been in the, like, the, um, you know, framework of, I am at a spa. Yes, exactly. Like So it's like, I'm going to be relaxed anyway, because I'm getting into a hot tub and then getting a massage where they blow, like, nice smelling, like, eucalyptus, like, in the room. So I'm just like, oh, this is so relaxing. It smells nice, but... Um, I think I just like smells. Like, I like really smelly candles. Right. Like, I like stuff that smells, like, very, like, woodsy and earthy. And lately I've been liking the smell of neroli. What's that? I think it's orange blossom. Mm. But, like, yeah, I like scents. I like perfume. Like, I have I have a lotion at the office that everyone... That's, like, a Bath and Body Works lotion. That the everyone, coconut one. The, the beach one. The coconut one. Yeah. That makes... That makes our uh, co-worker's dog smells like, smell like coconut. Yeah, that's totally true. It does. But, uh, yeah, I like smelly stuff. So, it, but the thing is, it's, like, I think, too, like, just smelling something that's, like, nice makes me feel relaxed. But it's in the context of, like, my hands now feel, like moist Mm -hmm. or like I I now feel relaxed because I'm in a place where I'm supposed to relax or it's just like so I don't know if it's the actual smell itself or the context yeah I mean this is a really good point like um my friend Marcella was really nice and got me a massage a couple weeks ago Mm. and I went to get the massage and you get like two free add-ons and I always do like the lavender oil because I like to smell it while they're giving me the massage because it just smells nice. And, I, you know, I'm the same way. I like, I like to light incense. I like my house to, like, have a certain oh, smell. Oh, yeah. I love, I love incense. Right. So it's kind of like um, like the postmodern idea, I think, of, like, uh, how – of, like, medical. You know? You're like, <laughs> this isn't actually, like, doing something super concrete for me. But it's, like, it is doing something concrete for me because I just like it. And, like, being – okay, I will say that probably, like – something like a really nice thing you can do for yourself is is relax and do things that you like to relax because for me I have an autoimmune condition that it flares up when I'm stressed out so it's good for me to just do things that I like you know for health reasons no it's totally (laughs) true this is such a good point um yeah what we do know about essential oils there there's like really conflicting evidence about their efficacy when used in aromatherapy to help treat anxiety and stress. We have some data that's like, yeah, we have some data that's like, uh. But we know that they are relaxing, right? Could just be because of the experience. And some initial medical studies have confirmed that lots of people respond well to taking a long, slow inhale of a favorite scent as like a self-soothing technique to help them calm down during an anxiety episode. So like in particular, this one study from 2012 showed that sweet orange essential oil, the smell of it will help reduce anxiety when you're in a situation that's stressful and to do this they like did a study where they put people in a room and intentionally stressed them out and they were like smell this you know which i'm like (laughs) i'm just wondering what they do to stress people out i know just send in uh nathan fielder (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm like uh, what is the situation okay whatever you can as always i'll link all the sources in uh the notes and you can read the whole medical study from like pubmed if you are interested in in the stress out uh, attempts um, but, you know, the thing about these tests that people are like, well, it's kind of effective, but it's really hard to conduct blind studies for these types of tests. 
because the researchers aren't able to rule out bias because everyone knows when they're smelling something. Yeah. It's not like, you know, you take a pill and maybe it's sugar and you take a pill and maybe it's like a chemical compound that's medicinal. Like, you know, you're like, I'm smelling something or I'm not. And you can self-report that it made you feel better if you're a person who believes essential oils do work. And that's not necessarily bad because that could just be a placebo effect, right? Okay, I wonder if they can test if essential oils work by having a person who does not have a sense of smell inhale them and see what it does. Well, I think that the main thing would be that, like, you have to smell them because, like, that process of smelling them, like, connects to your mind in this way. Like, you know, like, scent and, like, a memory are connected. Gotcha. I thought it was more like the, the chemicals did something to your brain, like, when you huff stuff. Oh, wait, wait. Some of them might, though. Like, peppermint oil on, like, an injury. That could be something that you wouldn't need to smell it. It's supposed to just, like, cool. That's why I was like, oh, do you have to smell it? Or does it absorb? Well, you said you had to have a carrier oil. Does it need to absorb into the skin? Or are you basically, like, huffing it like you would to get high? Or is it just because the smell triggers, like, the smell itself, not the chemical... uh, I don't know how to describe it. Well, for stress and anxiety, I think you do have to smell it because the act of smelling it triggers something in your brain. Um, But for some of them, no, you probably wouldn't because some of them have been used to help with things like inflammation. So, like, you would be able to do a study like that. But, you know, it wouldn't have to be smelled. It could just be, like, the contact with the skin through the carrier oil. Interesting. Um, But, yeah, like, we also know that some animals show signs of reduced stress when they're exposed to essential oils, too. And scientists call this phenomenon expectancy. If you believe sniffing like rosemary or eucalyptus is going to perk you up or mellow you out, your expectations will result in these placebo benefits that stem from your brain, right? It's not the plant that you're inhaling doing it, but it's your brain. Your brain's like, I'm doing something that's good for me. I feel good now. And like the placebo effect is super widely documented that it actually has positive effects on people's bodies and health. Yeah, I've heard, this is like just what I've heard, I don't know for sure, is that the placebo effect is like up to 50% of a drug's effectiveness. You know, I feel like I've heard stuff like that too. Um, An interesting statistic about trying to do these blind tests for um, like essential oils and stress and anxiety is that we live in a world actually where 34% of American adults believe in the health benefits of essential oils and 31% believe in the health benefits of aromatherapy. So that's like a third of the general population. That's pretty significant. It's going to be hard to conduct a test free of bias. But, you know, there are some things like you were kind of talking about, like maybe I like this because I'm in this spa environment and who wouldn't like a spa environment? So some people are like, yeah, there might be benefits that you're getting from this experience that are actually coming from other things. Like, um, for example, if you are receiving social and physical contact from having like an oil or a balm applied to you by a caregiver, that kind of stuff, we know social and physical contact makes people's health better. So it could just be that it doesn't even matter what the thing is. You're just, the contact is is the thing that's making you feel good, which is interesting to me because my skin has a tendency to keloid. Do you know what a keloid is? Uh, is that like a calcium deposit? It's like I'm not sure if it actually is a calcium deposit, but it's like when your scars get really big. So there's this treatment you can do on your keloids where you massage this cream into them like three times a day. But my doctor was like, the cream doesn't actually do anything. It's just you massaging it that breaks it down every day. Oh, interesting. So that's super interesting to me and similar to this. Um, But yeah, so this might be why this recent review of over 201 studies found that only 10 were actually effective enough tests to analyze. And those 10 showed that aromatherapy just on its own actually was not effective at treating anxiety so basically we have some studies that are like yes aromatherapy using essential oils reduced my stress 
But researchers have a really hard time backing up those claims medically because the studies aren't blind, because the studies aren't um, able to be repeated, and because there's all these different things in lots of people's testing models that are not taken into account, like the contact, the physical contact of the touch or, you know, whatever. So that one's kind of like people are like, uh, maybe. There's also headaches and migraines. So there haven't been very many high quality studies about these, but people claim all the time that essential oils will like cure your migraines. Um, there have been some lightweight studies. There were two in the 1990s that showed dabbing peppermint oil and ethanol onto someone's forehead and temples could help reduce headache pain. And there were some more recent studies that showed if you mixed peppermint and lavender and applied it to your skin, you could potentially reduce headache pain as well. Um, you know, we don't really know. It's not a lot of tests. It's not enough to conclusively say anything. And there's also just like a traditional Persian headache remedy that says mixing chamomile and sesame oil and applying it to your temples might help treat headaches and migraines. People have been swearing by that for a long time. So, you know, it's more folk-based. It's more like folk remedy. Yeah. I wonder, you know how you said rubbing the keloid cream in was the mm-hmm. helpful part? I wonder if just rubbing your temples sometimes. Because that's what they tell you to do with a headache. Massage your temples. Yeah, but yeah. if you have like an oil, it's more slippery, so it's not as harsh. Right. It probably feels really but good. But also like, and if you have something good smell, but who knows? Maybe it is doing something. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows. And that's the thing. But it doesn't stop essential oil people from making these claims that like, yeah, we'll cure your migraines with this freaking pepper. This oil. reminds me a lot of supplements because I've yes. had a very serious health issue that for a little while I you know because if you see a specialist a lot of times you have to wait like three months and I was like in incredible pain so Mm -hmm. I just tried like every supplements whatever and I like looked up like all the stuff and really there was like the only couple things that like doctors told me they're like we don't really know or like looked online like we don't really know a lot about supplements I've only had a doctor be like we know some things about vitamin D for uh, autoimmune stuff. Mm. And if you have uh, like a couple other, I forget what else it was. Like there could be some for omega-3s, but we're not sure. But the only thing that they told me supplement wise is we don't know anything except for probably vitamin D. Is okay. Yeah, that's very similar to this. There's also like people say it can treat your um, insomnia. This research has been a little more promising like smelling lavender in particular has been shown to help in sleep habits of people who participated in the studies, especially if they'd just given birth or if they had heart disease. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing we hear a lot is like inflammation. And to me, inflammation is kind of a buzzword. Like kind of, do you know what inflammation actually is? Not really. It seems kind of like similar as when people are like the toxins in your body. And <laughs> I'm like, too, yeah. I thought your liver and your kidneys was, was supposed to get rid of all the toxins and stuff and then you pee it or sweat it out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But unless you know you've been you've been putting a lot of toxins in your body for a long time then you get liver failure <laughs> oh i mean uh but yeah i think i mean i have um arthritis mm-hmm. rheumatoid arthritis in addition to some other stuff that like I definitely have had my fingers like swell up mm-hmm. <laughs> to like where like rings get stuck and stuff so I understand that kind of inflammation, but when people start talking about other inflammation, like, oh, your gut is inflamed, I'm like, oh, does your, like, I don't get it, like. Right, so some people, for a gut inflammation thing, they'll be talking about, um, like, some people have, like, diverticulitis, which is, like, pockets in your guts and things get stuck oh. in it, and then this getting stuck in it causes inflammation. Yeah, so I get, like, because I've definitely had, like, inflamed fingers, like, mm-hmm. my fingers were, like so swole like but to me i'm just like what's the difference between like 
swelling like you the and but people are like oh like inflammation you just have all over inflammation i'm just like how would you know <laughs> like i know if like one part of my body is inflamed you know <laughs> right so typically inflammation is an immune system response that's designed to help protect your body from like infection or illness or like if you have an injury and usually when inflammation starts your body basically starts to produce more white blood cells immune cells and uh the word i can never pronounce which is like cytokinase ketones no it's c-y-t-o-k-i-n-e-s but they're supposed to help fight infection oh Mm -hmm. and you might see it when you have a health concern right you'll see something isolated become red painful swollen and usually it's hot but sometimes the body can be inflamed in a more chronic long-term capacity without those kind of acute symptoms which can cause problems because it contributes to things like diabetes heart disease liver disease and cancer and this can be triggered by things like stress or uh, things like eating a ton of high fructose corn syrup. So go USA because we do that in a major way because of our corn subsidies. And if you want to learn more about that, episode 63, Cornspiracy, is a good one. Um, also it can be triggered from alcohol consumption, for example. Like I have a friend who has a recurring inflammation that's like a reaction to eating too much like sweets and junk food because they're high in like corn syrup and stuff like that. Mm. And it affects her foot and we call it sugar foot because she knows she's been eating too much sugar when her foot swells up. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like what about essential oils? Can they have anti-inflammatory effects when your body's experiencing chronic inflammation? People claim thyme, oregano, caraway, and rosemary oils can help with specific things like the remission of colitis, but those studies were done on like mice and rats, and we just don't have very many real trustworthy studies on the effects of essential oils on the human body, like at all, especially not through the lens of chronic inflammation, which is, yeah, like a buzzword right now that people are really overusing. There's also like this kind of push right now scientists are like okay um like bacteria is getting antibiotic resistant so we have to come up with something new or like better and they've been looking for other medical compounds to help fight bacterial infections and some people are like it's essential oil some essential oil compounds will have antibiotic and antimicrobial effects but there's no evidence that essential oils can do this they're like there have been at least nine studies showing that essential oils like peppermint and tea tree oil can have some antimicrobial effects in test tubes but a test tube isn't a human body, right? So maybe me wiping the inside of the shoes didn't even matter. But they probably smelled nicer. I don't think it mattered. I think it cleaned them. So as Scientific American explains, the National Institute of Health provides a thorough summary via the U.S. National Library of Medicine of research conducted into the efficiency of essential oils. Currently, there is no evidence-backed research showing any illnesses that can be cured through the use of essential oils or the practice of aromatherapy. The results on other possible benefits of essential oils as, for example, mood elevators or stress relievers are more mixed, but most are still inconclusive. So there's also Joe Swartz, who's a chemist and the director of the McGill Office for Science and Society. He's done a bunch of extensive research on essential oils, and he says, look, there just is no significant scientific evidence for the benefits that are claimed on behalf of essential oils. So... Mm. So, you know, obviously there's no evidence, right, that these things are actually doing something. Um, and there's not, like, a lot of ample independent testing. So companies can't actually be legally asserting that their products prevent, diagnose, treat, or cure diseases, right? That goes around, like, regulation. But they get around this by relying on abstract words like vitality and balance and by talking in really vague words about general body symptoms or mild issues that don't rise to the level of disease. And that's kind of why this is like a really unregulated market and people kind of just get to say whatever they want. And then of course you have other people who are like, no, it cures cancer, which is like, what? There's no evidence of that. But they just kind of fly under the radar. So that's why I said it's like very wild, wild west times. Like anything goes. 
so the Washington Post kind of talked about this in an interesting way. And they said, even though aromatherapy is an ancient practice, the current craze arrived in a cloud of confusion and controversy. There are multi-level marketing giants that hire untrained wellness advocates to pitch you products. There are mega brands that use synthetic imitations of oils without disclosing the difference. There's the FDA, which has been slow to regulate the product, except for some recent crackdowns on some MLMs that were making unsubstantiated claims about using oils to combat diseases. And there are well-meaning aromatherapists who perhaps rely too heavily on small batch clinical studies and involving research. It all adds up to one big head scratch for consumers who seem to cast essential oils into two categories. At best, they're a harmless hippie indulgence along the lines of crystals and candles. At worst, they're a dangerous marketing scam. Experts say neither is quite right. Essential oils, concentrated aromatic volatile liquids distilled from plants are highly potent, often risky, and full of possibilities. So there have been some efforts to regulate false claims about essential oils, right? Like we kind of talked about the FDA thing. In 2014, they sent letters to one company, which we'll talk about in more detail later, called doTERRA. Have you oh, I know about, about doTERRA. Oh, we're going to do a deep dive. Um, and they wrongfully claimed that sage or cinnamon essential oils could cure or prevent Ebola? <laughs> wild. Positively wild. <laughs> Ebola has no cure, for the record. In addition, they were cited for falsely claiming essential oils could cure bacterial infection, cancer, brain injuries, autism so that's a big anti-vaxxer red flag there uh endometriosis graves disease alzheimer's disease and of course ken and i our favorite add or adhd <laughs> so the fda also found that this other company that we'll talk about later called young living was mislabeling and misbranding their products as drugs even though they're not approved as drugs the company had been marketing their products like this is a cure this is a treatment this is a preventative measure Again, for things like fighting Ebola, but also for things like Parkinson's disease, again, autism, diabetes, hypertension, cancer, insomnia, heart disease, PTSD, dementia, and multiple sclerosis. Also, during COVID, doTERRA advertised on social media that essential oils could prevent COVID. Oh, no. Yeah, which obviously they cannot. And on January 27th of 2023, like a high-ranking doTERRA distributor named um, Eliza Backot, another one named Lauren Bush, and another named Dr. Tina Wong, all were ordered to have to pay civil penalties of $50,000 each to settle Department of Justice charges that they violated the FTC Act and the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act by promoting doTERRA products for the prevention and treatment of COVID-19. Whoa. Yeah. So while the FDA can crack down on false claims, in general, you know, there's just not a lot of monitoring of what's in the products. And it's usually not a problem if it's just like a smell, like, oh, it's a nice smell. But when they're selling them, like, not as a smell, and they're being like, hey, you should eat this. You should ingest this, which is something you're never supposed to do with an essential oil. You don't even know what's in there because the FDA doesn't monitor that. And you just have, like, kind of this really um, difficult thing to regulate and control. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the main problems with essential oils come into play when people overemphasize their effectiveness, use them in a way that conflicts with medications that they already have that they're taking or ongoing medical conditions. And it can give you a lot of side effects. Like, for example, we talked about this. You aren't supposed to apply them directly to your skin. You instead have to use this thing called a carrier oil. And that's because bottled oils are 50 to 100 times more concentrated than the oils in the plant itself. So lots of sites, like websites selling these products, will encourage you to absorb and even ingest essential oils, even though experts are like, you definitely should not do this. This could be dangerous. Like, generally, yeah, it's best to avoid applying pure essential oils directly under your skin because of their high concentration, which can cause chemical burns or irritation. Ooh. Instead, they're supposed to be diluted into this, like, blending oil or lotion. But not everybody tells you to do that. Some people, like, just slap it on the skin, put some in a glass of water, drink it up. 
There's also some evidence that shows citrus oil in particular will make your skin more sensitive to the sun, which can cause sun damage and even skin cancer. You also shouldn't use essential oils without a doctor's supervision if you're like pregnant or if you have children who are breastfeeding because they can like totally mess up the breast milk situation and development. You can have all these side effects from misusing essential oils like rashes, asthma attacks, headaches, allergic reactions, skin irritation, nausea. And especially if you have uh, allergies like hay fever, asthma, epilepsy, high blood pressure, eczema, or psoriasis, you're going to end up with some bad potentially like side effects from this. And this is all really wild because I hear people say a lot that essential oils in particular can treat asthma and eczema. But people are like, no, it can actually cause asthma and eczema yeah, or, I, or exacerbate it. Yeah, I have a ton of like allergies like to like plants, flower, you know, stuff like that. So it's like a lot of the essential oils give me like wild headaches. Right. I mean, yeah, it's not like it's going to give you asthma if you don't have asthma, but it'll make you have asthma attacks. Like you can trigger like an asthma attack. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. For uh, Yeah. Oof. Also, if you buy your essential oils in plastic containers, they can, because they're so freaking powerful, they can dissolve the plastic and that contaminates the oils you're putting on your body. The FDA says that sometimes people think that if an essential oil or other ingredient comes from a plant, it must be safe. But many plants contain materials that are toxic, irritating, or likely to cause allergic reactions when applied to the skin. Like, duh, like you don't want to walk into poison ivy, right? Just because it's natural doesn't mean you should put it on you. <laughs> I don't know about that. I use a poison ivy cream all the time. No, <laughs> no do not do that. Does it make you that. like a really hot, cool Batman character? Uh, it makes me a hot, cool Harley Quinn. Oh, Wow. Um, on top of all of this, if you see something like lavender essential oil being sold for three bucks on the internet or whatever, yeah, it's probably not going to be actually lavender. It's just this unknown mix of random chemicals with a scent. Since extracting the oil is super time consuming, super expensive, there's no way you're going to get it for three bucks. So all of this, again, like we kind of touched on ties in with that anti-vaxxer autism scene too. The people who think like vaccines create autism. Um, which is obviously super ableist, right? But a doTERRA representative named Lara told a dozen people at a meeting that she had become interested in oils a few years ago when her three-year-old son started showing symptoms of autism after receiving a measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. Uh, and again, I feel like we shouldn't have to say this, but there's absolutely no evidence that getting a vaccine will cause autism. And also, having autism does not mean you are a horrible person who doesn't deserve to live and you've tormented everybody with your existence. Like, what? Um, so yeah, but this chick, Lara, is like, oh no, uh, my pediatrician had no help for me, but diffusing oils made my son calm as a kitten, which I'm just like, cool, so you sedated your son? All right. After a few years of treatments with oils, she's like, yeah, he's on track, right? So, you know, it's just like this really weird kind of thing about how some people are broken, and then it's like extra insulting, because it's like, not only are you broken, ugh, essential oils will fix you. Is this, like, double insulting? Yeah. So, you know, essential oils, yeah, consistently being sold as this, like, natural way to cure yourself of pretty much anything. Lara also said oils were antiviral and they could knock out bronchitis in 24 hours. And remember that, because that's going to come into play later. She also shared essential oil success stories. She's like, my migraines are gone. My friend's rheumatoid arthritis is reversing. Um, a colleague's mother's cancer is in remission. Like, she tells people this when she's trying to sell them on yeah. these essential oils. This is, like, what, when I was extremely ill and, like, was bedridden, this is the kind of stuff people would tell me, and it would just make my hair stand up. Yeah. Because I'm like, if I could just buy $2,500 worth of essential oil and I knew it would work, I would, but it doesn't. It doesn't, yeah. 
And but, the stories and like, are... It always get Like, here's the thing. Like, when you make claims like this for people who are suffering, like, if you've ever had, like, real arthritis pain, you are fucking suffering. Right. And, like, you are desperate. I mean, or I was desperate. Like, I would have... I tried everything and I would have tried anything. And thinking back on it, I was like... I spent so much money on bullshit because I was just so desperate for relief. Right, right, right. And these stories are super dangerous because they do encourage people to put too much faith in the physical efficacy of things like essential oils and not pursue, like, actual medical treatments sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, this uh, one mom from Calgary named Tamara Levitt was found guilty of negligence in the death of her seven-year-old son who had a grade-A strep infection and also meningitis and pneumonia that she refused to treat with antibiotics and instead just gave him oregano oil. So, obviously, that's super fucking horrifying. And two Pennsylvania parents, Drew and Amy uh, Haneke, had their baby die. When he was struggling to breathe, he turned blue, and they decided to treat him with peppermint oil. Mm-hmm. So, if we think about that chick, Lara, being like, look at all these cool things they cured with essential oils. This is what happens. Like, well-intentioned mothers go give these to their children, and their children just die because they didn't pursue adequate medical treatment. So, why does this keep happening, right? Like, why do all these people sell the essential oils as though it's going to save everybody's lives? Um, well, and the reality is obviously capitalism. It's <laughs> yeah. always capitalism or racism. I, I feel like, like, also, like, we just have a grifty culture. We, like, really celebrate grifters. We really do. And the reality is that essential oils are a big business. Like, the global essential oil market size was valued at around $18.6 billion in 2020. Wowie. And it goes up every single year. So there's this uh, person... Uh, Marthica McDermott, who's a certified aromatherapist with the National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy. And she actually warns her customers to not get carried away with the oils. She says, let's be real. They work to their capacity, not to the promises that are made by people that have no proof. I think some companies are recommending the use of oils a little bit recklessly. The motivation is sometimes sell a lot. And I do have an issue with that. And I really like this because she's an aromatherapist. She believes, you know, it's nice to smell something nice and it can relax you in a relaxing environment. But she's like, no, basically these companies just want to make money and they're telling you that the oils will do whatever will get you to buy it so yeah. they can get rich. I feel like if, if they were just like, it's like a nice smelling candle. Like even like my therapist has been like, you know what? You should get a nice smelling candle. And I was like, you know what? I like that idea. Yeah, totally. But no, they have to make all these wild claims. You know, and most of the essential oils that are sold in the United States come from just two companies, which are based on Utah. Oh, let me guess. doTERRA. doTERRA's one. Do you know uh, the other one? Uh, no, but this makes total sense because, like, um, it just, my, this is anecdotal, but my friend who is from Utah, fellow Southwesterner mm-hmm. or Westerner, uh, she was like, yeah, my mom sells doTERRA in Salt Lake. And I was like, and she was saying that that, like, that kind of stuff out there is really, really big. It's really big. So the other one that's not doTERRA is called Young Living. Oh. And both of these have now claimed to be the largest seller of essential oils in the world. Um, and the two companies do have more than 3 million customers apiece and over a billion dollars in annual sales. So while there are cheaper oils, like Walmart will sell, for example, a kit of 16 therapeutic grade essential oils for $30. Young Living and doTERRA have built their brands on claims that they sell completely pure, naturally derived oils, which is different than what, like, Walmart's doing, because therapeutic grade doesn't actually mean anything, right? It's not, like, a medical designation. Oh, yeah, because, like, it's probably synthetic. Yeah, it's, like, it's not like they're, you go to a hospital to get aromatherapy. Right? It's not, like, to me, it's, like, you don't need a prescription for aromatherapy. Right. Which is, like, 
I get I get why people do it because you don't need to go to a fucking expensive doctor. Or if you're like me, um, when I didn't have health insurance, buy antibiotics from pet medicine websites online. Um, but yeah, both of these companies, the two biggest ones in the U.S., they're MLMs, right? Multi-level marketing schemes. Yes, that make yeah, because like I feel like for a while in Portland, people were getting into like doTERRA MLMs. yeah because it can get a little woo woo and it's it's like a horseshoe theory of woo woo to woo anon yeah also it's just like it's a way for you it's like especially like if you need extra money you're like oh i can like work for myself and like it like i think it gets people like on both ends of like i don't know about desperation but need it's like need to make extra money and need to have some sort of uh health care no this is totally true um both the customer and the person selling it yeah they they have some sort of need and usually it's for money they both need money and this is a system that capitalism creates right yeah it's unsafe. so yeah so like instead of like society providing health care and money and which, housing and housing and all that stuff you have to fend for yourself so it's like Anything that sounds good. Yeah. And this is why I say, if somebody ever tells you something that's like a get-rich-quick scheme, the only get-rich-quick scheme is them making money off of telling you the get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah. And usually it's a pyramid scheme, if that's right. the case. Yeah. If you make money quick, like, in a situation that's like an MLM, that means that you are fucking over someone else who is lower on the pyramid. Exactly. But MLMs are thought to be responsible for 85% of the entire essential oil market in general. Wow. Yeah. So it's like MLMs and essential oils are now almost inextricably tied to each other. And salespeople in these companies, um, they're called distributors, right? And they buy the products at wholesale prices, they mark them up to the retail, and then they sell them to the consumers themselves. But as everybody knows, the real money comes when you recruit other distributors and put them in your downline, is what it's called, and you get a commission on your sales. So you might be like, yeah, I'm going to sell this product. And then you're like, I'm recruiting like three people to sell under me. And you give, I'm going to show you the ropes. I'm going to teach you how this works. I'm going to show you how to make so much money. Oh my God. And in exchange, you just give me 10% of everything you sell. That's my commission. And that's where most of these people are making their money. Not on actual product sales, but on the commissions off other people. Yeah. It reminded, oh my gosh. I, for some reason, I just keep thinking about all the Nexium documentaries that I watched. Where it's like, it's like, yeah, to me, it's like MLMs are ultimately pyramid schemes because the people who get in last get fucked. Yes. So Young Living, in particular, the one that's not doTERRA, they divide their sales force into this, like, really complex hierarchy that's, like, stratified by sales volume. Like, you can be a distributor, which is the lowest level, and that's 94% of the members. Or you can be, for example, a Royal Crown Diamond, which is, like, less than one-tenth of 1% of the members. But... One person who became one of these royal crown diamond salespeople at Young Living went to this conference and gave a speech and was like, as a royal crown diamond, I only work four hours a day. I have a personal chef. My chef is right there. And then like points into the audience and says, I am so blessed. That's what happens when you get to this level. You get blessed with these things. When I wake up, I don't look at the internet. I go outside. I swim every day. I didn't always have that luxury. But as you advance, you get to treat yourself. Wow. Okay, this seems really, really dark to me. Oh, it's so, it's so scary. Because it's basically like, you know, because that's what we all really want out of our lives. Like, we want to be off the fucking internet, but we do that because we, like, need something because we're, like, working at jobs that don't, that most, most people 
don't want to be at their jobs. I'm that's I, that's my hot take. I, I mean, no, it's not even a hot I take. It's I, statistically true. Eighty percent of people are unsatisfied with their work. Yeah, and it's just like okay, like in our society now, like we're running around everywhere. The, you go on social media, it makes you feel bad about your life and like things that you're doing most of the, you know, I don't know for me. And I feel like I'm even at the point where like, I feel okay about myself. And then sometimes I go on and I'm like, oh no. Like, Well, also then there's people who Pink Williams, who's a creator I follow on TikTok, who's amazing, has described as um, busking on the internet. It's like going out, you know, to try to dance and perform on the internet, hoping you'll get some pennies thrown at you. Yeah. Like, mm. but it's just like, it's like that's what we want it's like in life like i think all of us just want to like wake up like maybe have a cup of tea cup of coffee we don't go on the internet we go outside it's pretty like we don't dream of working also though also most people will work if it's a job they enjoy where their labor is valued adequately and they have control over it a little bit like people like the idea of work doesn't have to be treacherous we all could work four hours a day and have a good life in a different system outside of capitalism without needing to exploit a bunch of people under Yeah, us. well, this to me, too, <clears throat> is even, like, it, to me, actually, like, I'm, my brain makes the leap to being, like, oh, this is, like, some survival of the fittest and Rand bullshit, where it's it just, totally like, is, yes. the reason why you're not experiencing fulfillment is not because of society, it's not because of all these systems we have in place that really fuck over people and fuck over marginalized people, and... You know, it's because you're not, you're not hustling hard enough. Right. It's very like hustle culture, girl boss culture. Yeah. Like it makes me so mad because I have definitely at some point, like my younger self would be like the reason, like the the reason why I don't have a six figure salary is just because like my vibes are wrong. Right. Well, so according to New Yorker, you know, you got this chick, Royal Crown Diamond person talking about how she has a personal chef and only works like four hours a day but according to the new yorker the reality for most recruits is quite different multi-level marketing companies are structured in a way that a large base of distributors generally spend more than they make and a small number on top reap most of the benefits uh, sounds like capitalism um which i think is really interesting by the way that we have like a different word for when capitalism is more obvious right <laughs> we're like that's a multi-level marketing scheme and i'm like capitalism is a multi-level marketing scheme but okay whatever anyway back to the new yorker it's often expensive to invest in an initial stock of products, as well as to make required minimum monthly purchases, like, to keep it going, you know? Around $100 for young living members who want to receive a commission check. According to a public income statement, more than 94% of young living's 2 million active members made less than a dollar in 2016, while less than one-tenth of 1%, that is about 1,000 Royal Crown Diamonds, earned more than a million dollars. So this is just, like, supercharged capitalism. And Young Living even aggressively targeted people to try to convince them to join the MLM during COVID, since distributors rely on recruiting new uh, other distributors in order to earn money. They were like, are you home and stressed about money? Oh my God, come, come do this. Come sell, you know, Young Living essential oils. And also you'll be doing something good for the planet because like maybe it stops COVID. Whoa. Uh, yeah, so it's like this double fucked up thing where they're like making fraudulent claims that it can prevent COVID. And then they're like, and you are so poor and stressed out about money because you can't work right now. You could do this yourself from home. Wow. Grifty masterpiece. Yeah. And then one study, you know, talking about how these people, most of them don't make any money. One study found that on average, most sellers earn less than 70 cents an hour. And a 2018 AARP survey of a thousand MLM participants showed only 25% of them made a profit. A 2017 report from the Consumer Awareness Institute found that 99% of MLM participants either don't make money at all or actually lose it. 
Wow. Yeah. So Dr. Mario Sullivan, who's a lecturer in advertising and marketing at Edge Hill University in the UK, calls these legal pyramid schemes. And uh, they say, vulnerable people are being targeted by the allure of making easy money, fitting work around their own schedule and entering a supportive community. But some of these companies have an alarmingly cult-like mentality. They practice love bombing and encourage you to cut off anyone who isn't supportive of the MLM or has concerns about the business model. That is alarming and abusive behavior. Yeah. So we're going to do a deep dive now into the two biggest ones, right? Young Living MLM and doTERRA. So Young Living sells more than 150 different types of oils and a section of the convention center at this one like essential oil kind of like, I don't know, like convention basically where you could go hawk your wares featured samples of all of these oils and this reporter goes in and is like okay i'm checking all these out some of them are familiar they're like oregano eucalyptus um but others are like these proprietary blends that they invent themselves to evoke different physical or spiritual situations like there's one that this reporter was like oh this is called christmas spirit and it taps into happiness joy and comfort associated with the holiday season which like wow must be nice because i have so much stress and panic over the holiday season really i i'm like i hate to admit I like the holidays. I think that's great. I think maybe it's just like family trauma makes people hate the holidays. And I have family trauma. Um, but yeah, there's this other one that I think is much cooler than Christmas spirit called Dragon Time. <laughs> oh, I want to get on Dragon Time. Me too. It, it promotes a feeling of stability and calm during cycles of moodiness. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, give me, give me some dragon. Yeah. And um, so this reporter was walking around. I was like, okay, you guys are making your own blends. You're doing these essential oils. What is this, right? Like, what am I looking at? So Young Living, um, they describe themselves as the world leader in essential oils, but remember they're, like, fighting with doTERRA all the time. The founder, Gary Young, he's always kind of been, like, an alternative health guy, but he has this really questionable background. Of so this course, reporter looks into it, course. obviously, right? <laughs> so his story is, like, captivating for people to hear. He says he grew up in Idaho in a cabin with a dirt roof and no running water. In his early 20s, he was working as a logger when a tree fell on him, fractured his skull, ruptured his spinal cord. And broke 19 of his bones. And then he woke up from the coma and doctors were like, you're never going to walk again. So after two suicide attempts, he decided to drink nothing but water and lemon juice. After 253 days, he says he regained feeling in his toes. So there was this book that his wife wrote about him that was published by Young Living the Company. And uh, he says, oh, the wife says, sorry, the day he walks today. Oh, that he walks today is a miracle that defies his medical prognosis. So this all goes into this kind of like alternative health kind of culty thing. They're like, look, he's walking. He's not supposed to walk. And the fact that he can do this means what we're doing is real. Um, but the reality of what he's been up to and his companies and how he got to this point, it's pretty complicated and disturbing. And he totally does just sound like a grifter. Like you were talking about Kenna. We love a grifter. Yeah, like also it's like this kind of stuff is like, well, if people just use essential oils, they wouldn't be disabled. Exactly. So, in 1982, he opened a health center in Spokane, Washington that included birthing services. One of the babies he attempted to deliver was his own daughter, and she died after spending an hour underwater in a whirlpool bath. I know. The death was ruled an accident, but the county coroner said the baby would likely have lived if she had been delivered under conventional conditions. The following year... Uh, Young said in the presence of an undercover detective that he could detect cancer with a blood test. He was arrested for practicing medicine without a license. And according to the Spokane uh, Spokesman Review, he pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge. Around the same time, he opened a clinic in Tijuana. And this guy, John Hurst, who was a reporter for the Los Angeles Times, submitted a blood sample posing as a patient to this clinic. 
and was told that it showed signs of aggressive cancer and liver dysfunction. A health educator from the clinic suggested that he undergo the clinic's $2,000 a week detox program. When Hearst revealed that the blood sample had come from his healthy 7-year-old 20-pound tabby cat named Boomer, she replied that the cat was not healthy and probably has leukemia. He was like, my cat did not have leukemia, for the record. Cat the cat needs the treatment. The cat Bring your cat down here for now. For $2,000 a week, yeah. So then we get to the early 90s. He travels to France to study distillation methods. Remember, that's how we make essential oils. So he bought 160 acres of farmland in Idaho after this, and he planted peppermint, tansy, and lavender. In 1994, he married his third wife, uh, Mary, a trained opera singer and a driven businesswoman, right? So together, they renovate this rundown building in Riverton, Utah, to use as the headquarters for the new company, Young Living Essential Oils. Uh, and Young mixed his abundance oil blend into the paint he used on the walls. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And he's probably rich as shit, so maybe it works. Who knows? <laughs> also... How much money would that be if you mixed in the essential oil with the paint if, like, all that oil is worth so much fucking money? Well, all these people who worked with him were like, this guy could blow money. Like, this guy, like, at one point it was rumored that he wanted to start his own, like, medieval times kind of like yeah but like um like a theme park like everyone was just like this guy can waste money I love the idea of the essential oil medieval, medieval times, times theme park in Utah oh my gosh maybe they'll serve um essential oil and vinegar chips oh i'm glad you snuck that in there i know because i was thinking that earlier it's pretty good (laughs) so by the year 2000 young opened the young life research clinic in springville utah which administered essential oils and other like alternative therapies to patients who had all sorts of really serious problems like heart disease depression cancer and the clinic employed a pediatrician named sherman johnson who had recently had his medical license reinstated after getting it revoked for a while About a decade earlier, though, this guy Johnson had been investigated by the state medical board after a woman died while he was treating her for cancer. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, after a nurse raised questions about her death, the body was exhumed. And then in a subsequent probe, it was determined she had multiple personality disorder and not cancer at all. Um, And Johnson said that she was injected with cancer by a group of witches and gay doctors and that she had died from an overdose of Demerol administered by Johnson. And Johnson had to plead guilty to manslaughter. Yeah, I can't even believe that that sentence or that paragraph is real. Yeah, I mean, witches and gay doctors as a concept is pretty strong. Um, I don't think they would go around injecting people with cancer. I don't see that being their motive. But I like that conceptually. And this is the guy that Young was like, need him, need this guy on my team. And then he injected the woman with Demerol? Yeah, yeah. Like, isn't that, like, just straight up, like, morphine? I have no idea. I've never been injected with Demerol. I, but pre- whatever it is, it can apparently kill you. I'm pretty certain, yeah. So sad. So, not even, th- wait, not even essential oil? He's not even- <laughs> No, 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 no. This was before he got into the essential oil business. <gasps> oh, shit. He was just doing whatever the fuck he was doing. I don't know. Oh. And also, like, I don't think that met, uh, multiple personality disorder is something we use the term anymore, but this was back in 2000, so I just want to say that. So, in 2005, the Young Life Clinic had to settle a lawsuit with a patient who claimed that infusions of vitamin C had caused renal failure and almost killed her. So, Young ends up closing the Utah Clinic and opens another one in Ecuador, which is this, like, weird, horrible thing that, like, untrained white people go to other countries to practice medicine because they think they're, like, helping because of this fucked up white savior racist complex. And then they go and just fuck with people in other countries. It's so evil. It's... So, he does this. He's like, I'm going to go to Ecuador. And there... 
Young, whose only medical degree was a doctorate in naturopathy from an unaccredited school, performed gallbladder surgery. No! Yes, which I'm just like, what the fuck? This is so evil. I think it's wild how, like, literally he's done manslaughter... There's other... There's... No, no, the other doctor did manslaughter. Oh. Oh, and, but he, for the daughter, did manslaughter. His own That's daughter. That's what I was saying. Yes. Yeah, thinking that... May, and, like, how does this guy just practice medicine without a license so much and just, like... Whereas, like, I feel like other people would... Uh, no, it's so wild. Um, so, yeah. Then, also, he started administering essential oils intravenously. Which, no! Yeah, remember, you're not even supposed to put them on your skin, and you're, you're not even supposed to drink them. People tell you to drink them. So this guy just starts injecting people with them, which is, like, really fucked up, and you are definitely not supposed to do that. Yeah. And, for the record, both doTERRA and Young Living actually do encourage consumers to drink certain oils, which is a position that's super controversial even amongst other alternative health practitioners. Ah, I'm sorry, just the idea. Oh, I just, it makes me want to gag. Just even, but I also hate the smell of lavender, and I feel like that's the one that people would drink a lot of. Probably. It's, I have, lately my gag reflex has been really terrible. Like, I watched that movie Triangle of Sadness, and I was like, almost barfing in the theater. (laughs) Well, so the reason why they're so confident in doing this um, at Young Living is that people think, they literally think essential oils are foolproof. So there's this guy, David Stewart, who's an aromatherapist affiliated with Young Living. And he has written, like, essential oils have divine intelligence and discernment that allows them to heal without harming, to provide ourselves with exactly what we need and nothing we don't. Um, He says the molecules of a therapeutic-grade essential oil form a harmonious, coherent, functional family designed and intended to serve us and heal us according to the highest will of their creator and our creator, who is one in the same, God. Okay. So it's all this, like, really religious thing. Um, so, yeah, this is, like, really interesting. And also, weirdly, there's this side story where some young living sellers who were super Christian and, like, joined because they liked the Christian messaging in 2021 became convinced that the company had been infiltrated by Satan himself. <laughs> and this was, like, essential oil internet drama. A few oh of these people were, like, God. they've got Satan in the building. Like, it's an antichrist situation. Like, no. Like, we have to get out of there. Wow. So there is a heavy, heavy conservative religious element to this. And, like, you heard this guy, David Stewart, explain. He's like, God was going to give us everything we need. It's right here on Earth already. Like, God is infallible. Do the essential oils. So this is all happening in the early 2000s. And that gets us to April 2008. And at this time, several former Young Living executives leave, and they start a new company called doTERRA. Oh. Yes. So their goal was to make essential oils more appealing to general audiences. So I have this quote here, and it says, At Young Living, we sold to a lot of Reiki masters, Emily Wright, one of doTERRA's co-founders, and Mary Young's former personal assistant. Remember, that was um, the young guy from Young Living. That was his wife. So this is what Emily Wright said. And then she said, When we started doTERRA, we really wanted to focus on mothers, to teach them to be as empowered to take care of their families. We took essential oils out of this weird healer's niche and put them into the mainstream. So doTERRA is targeting, like, Pinterest mommy bloggers in Utah. Gotcha. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it worked. Oh, it totally worked. By 2012, a market research group said that doTERRA singularly was responsible for the industry's rapid expansion. Whoa. Yeah. 
And similar to Living Young, there are fraudulent or misleading claims about how much money you can make selling the oils, right? The top 1% of salespeople are divided into six different groups, like silver, gold, platinum, diamond, blue diamond, and presidential diamond. And those people all earn between $27,000 a year up to $1.2 million a year. Oh my God. But 99% of sellers never even make it to the silver rank. Like achieving silver rank means recruiting at least three other people who personally will sell or recruit people who will sell under them uh, at least $3,000 in product per month. The lower ranks are called things like entry, manager, director, executive, elite, and premier, and they earn between forty-six dollars to $11,000 per year. Wow. Yeah, so 76% of all doTERRA salespeople earn in that entry level averaging $46 a year. Mm-hmm. Wow, because you have to, like, I think what happens is a lot of people don't realize, like, after you pay for all the stuff, yeah, like, then you buy what's left over, and like sometimes you're like, oh, they're like, yay, I made all this money, and then you're like, wait, I just had to pay three thousand bucks to buy all the shit. I made twenty seven dollars exactly. So, DoTerra calls their sellers wellness advocates, and this one wellness advocate named Jamie was invited to an essential oils party on a Saturday night in January twenty eighteen, and she said the woman who hosted the DoTerra party told me that she gets all of her essential oils for free because she earns so much. She alluded to the fact that she travels overseas quite a bit for business and told me how much healthier her lifestyle is now. And then um, she says, you know, like, I worked in the public hospital sector. I was working nonstop. I was, like, really stressed out. So I got sucked in. And, of course, right away, Jamie's upline, remember they're called, like, downlines or upline, Mm -hmm. the person above you who's making commission off you, called her to ask how many products she'd sold that month and started pressuring her to recruit other users. So Jamie got to the point where she was spending $500 a month on essential oils for 11 months And she said it was thousands and thousands of dollars. I was so broke. And it wasn't until she had an adverse reaction to an oil blend that she was like, okay, this doesn't fucking work anymore. And so she tried this new oil, essential oil blend, and made her feel dizzy, nauseous, and clammy. And it frightened her. So then she contacted doTERRA because she was worried about it. Mm -hmm. But they were like, just send the product back. Um, And she's like, okay, so you have untrained consultants selling potentially harmful essential oils. And to this day, Jamie has... All of her doTERRA expenses are totally separate from her and her husband's finances, and she won't tell him how much money she spent on it because she's so ashamed. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the thing that I think is, like, really interesting about all this, too, is that God thing we touched on. Mm-hmm. How God and religion plays into all of this. So a lot of the doTERRA executives are Mormon, and the company's connection to the Mormon church ended up being this, like, huge advantage because distributors could suddenly rely on all of these stay-at-home mothers who went to the Mormon church and these naturally already networked communities, right? Because mm. the people in the Mormon church, they're very networked. So Utah has more multi-level marketing companies per capita than any other state. I believe it. Yeah, and direct sales are Utah's second biggest source of revenue just after tourism. And the Mormon church also has this, like, long-standing kind of, like, lack of trust about federal oversight. So they ended up, as a result, making Utah a friendly home for businesses that, you know, maybe don't follow all the procedures like you should and cut a few corners, even if they're medical ones. So, you know, whenever somebody comes in and tries to regulate these industries, like, what are you giving these people? Um, Everybody there kind of portrays it as a threat to your individual freedom. Like, don't control me. In the 90s, there was this, like, battle over the regulation of dietary supplements. Vitamin advocates paid for a TV ad starring a bewildered Mel Gibson in a bathrobe who was accosted in his kitchen by a SWAT team for having a bottle of vitamins. This is the kind of propaganda they're putting out. Wow, and Mel Gibson. Yeah. And in Utah County, uh, more and more parents are refusing in large numbers to vaccinate their children. Um, You know, it's the hub of the, like, alternative health industry here in the United States. 
And there, 43% of kindergartners have not received their full set of vaccinations. Wow. That's a lot of people. So in this newsletter to Young Living members uh, after her husband's death in 2018, Gary's wife Mary wrote that her husband's desire to spread the gospel of essential oils was closely tied to his faith, writing, God was his foundation. And then the religion thing is really interesting here because we see it come up a lot within essential oils, right? It's this idea that God made the earth and the earth is perfect and things from the earth will not hurt you, they'll heal you. And doTERRA's own like company video when talking about essential oils says they were put on the earth for this purpose for our healing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So this means that the demographic for essential oils has shifted over time, right? It's gone less woo-woo, and it's gone more kind of just like, yeah, like I said, like Pinterest mommy blogger, like sitting at home, stay-at-home mom, you know? And it crosses over with just straight-up religious institutions and this stunning display maybe of, like, horseshoe theory. You've got, like, mm-hmm. the spiritual kind of hippie types who would, like, always, like, you know, kind of eschew, like, modern convention. And then you have the people who are, like, trad wife super conventional, and they both end up being essential oil customers wow so this reminded me of something that you've talked about on the podcast before kind of which is snake oil yeah well you know snake oil originally actually worked yes it did (laughs) so snake oil now is this cultural trope and it's used you know to describe something that's sold to be like a panacea but like it's not really effective and you just got conned um but it used to describe a very real thing that was marketed as a wonder drug and snake oil now, if you say, like, you're peddling snake oil, it means you're, like, a charlatan or a con artist or a grifter. But originally, originally, Chinese railroad workers came to the United States in the 1800s, and they brought actual snake oil with them from China. They made this oil from the Chinese water snake, which is really rich in the omega-3 acids that help reduce inflammation. So snake oil, yes, like Kenna said, in its original form, was really effective, especially when used to treat arthritis and bursitis. Wow. Yeah, and the workers, you know, from China would rub the oil uh, on their joints after a long, hard day of work. And they were like, yeah, we've been using this for centuries in China. And then the Chinese workers started to share it with some of their American, like, co-workers. And they were like, this is wild, like, this is so cool. Then, though, in the latter half of the 19th century, we saw this huge rise in this thing called patent medicines. And these were usually sold, like, in the back pages of newspapers. And they promised to cure all sorts of things. Chronic pain, headaches, Female complaints, uh, <laughs> kidney trouble, and all of these cures, they were fake, and people started to call them snake oil. And this started to happen because snake oil actually got ruined by some capitalist white dude named Clark Stanley, a.k.a. the Rattlesnake King, in 1893. Wow. Yes, so he was like, snake oil's really popular, I'll make my own snake oil. And he would do these displays where he would literally, like, kill snakes in front of people, and he's like, yeah, I make my own snake oil, but from rattlesnake oil... Because rattlesnakes were easy to find in the United States, but the the snakes that actually worked really well, like the Chinese snakes, they had to go to China to get those, right? So he's like, these rattlesnakes are everywhere. So he tried to make snake oil with it, but the Chinese snake oil contained almost triple the amount of vital acid as his rattlesnake oil did. Mm. So it didn't really work. And on top of that, that's just what he marketed. When people did studies on it, like the shipment was seized of Stanley's snake oil in 1917, Federal investigators found that it actually didn't really have, like, oil from a snake in it at all. It was mostly mineral oil, which is a fatty oil and uh, that they thought also maybe had some beef fat re- uh, worked into it, along with red pepper and turpentine. Ooh. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because, like, the essential oils are, like, our contemporary snake oil in a lot of ways. But some of them could actually be useful and some of them could just be fake. Yeah. Or uh, burn you. Yeah. Or burn you. So, like we saw with the original Chinese snake oil, obviously there can be some health benefits from things derived from nature in this oil 
kind of thing. But the things that essential oils are actually effective at, it's not nearly as interesting as that weird Jesus mommy cult claiming that cinnamon cures your ADHD or whatever, right? <laughs> I wish. That's snazzy, no. <laughs> right? As stuff like just adding scent to your laundry or cosmetics because it just smells nice. And some people, like Kenna and me, enjoy things that smell nice. I like the smelly. Yes, and that actually can have positive effects on your body, right? Because there's the whole mind-body connection thing. So when a fragrance travels to your brain through the nose, it releases feel-good endorphins and serotonin, which improves your mood and can give you, yeah, a little bit of mental clarity and ease your tension, making you happier. Yeah. And being happier is actually really good for you medically. Like, happiness lowers your risk for cardiovascular disease, lowers your blood pressure, enables better sleep, and reduces stress. Wow. And it also can boost your immune system. So we have studies on this. Like, one study in over 300 healthy people looked at the risk of developing a cold after individuals were given a common cold virus via nasal drops. And the least happy people were nearly three times as likely to develop the common cold compared with their happier counterparts. Wow. Yes. In another study, researchers gave 81 university students a vaccine against hepatitis B, which is a virus that attacks your liver. Happier students were nearly twice as likely to have a high antibody response to the vaccine, which is a sign of a strong immune system. Wow. Yeah. And it may be due to the impact of happiness on, like, the activity of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal uh, axis, which is sometimes called the HPA axis, which regulates your immune system, hormones, digestion, and stress levels. And that stress thing, remember we talked about in the beginning how everyone was like, we can't figure out if this reduces stress or not? Mm -hmm. Well, a number of studies demonstrate that cortisol levels tend to be lower when people are happier. So if you just like the way the nice thing smells and you do it and it makes you happy, maybe it can actually reduce your stress just because you're happy. Wow. And the heart stuff, that's pretty major, right? Like a study of over 6,500 people over the age of 65 found positive well-being, happiness, was linked to a 9% lower risk of high blood pressure. And a number of studies have also shown that being happy is associated with 13 to 26% lower risk of heart disease. Wow. So these are not insignificant numbers. And just being happy can potentially also help you live longer. Like a long-term study published in 2015 looked at the effects of happiness on survival rates in 32,000 people. And the risk of death for people throughout this 30-year study period was 14% higher in unhappy individuals compared to their happier counterparts. Wow. So what this means is... If you like breathing in the smell of the essential oils, you should probably keep doing it because it'll make you happy and being happy is a good thing. But you probably shouldn't give them to your kid instead of proper medical treatment and you probably shouldn't get sucked into a Jesus MLM. Yeah, and don't eat them. Don't don't, eat, don't ingest them. Don't eat the essential oil and vinegar chips. Do not do that. Do you have anything else you want to add to essential oils, Kenna? Um, I don't think so. All right, that's the episode. Mm, it smells good. Thank you so much for listening. Um, again, if you'd like to support us, we are on Patreon. And for a mere $2 a month, you can access bonus content. You can message us and we probably will respond, though. Can't promise, but we love your messages. We love them. And, you know, but uh, if you don't want to subscribe to our Patreon, we totally get it. We're just happy that you're here. But if you do, we are on patreon.com slash pick me up. I'm scared. Thanks again. Thanks.